0: Blog
1: talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Fettles, and I want to thank everyone for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the US. Last Thursday uh, was actually a monumental day for the citizens of Oakland, California. Uh, just two months into his tenure as SEC um, chairman, Tom Wheeler conducted his first uh, town hall meeting, uh, which, which came to Oakland, and as he said, he came to escape the D.C. bubble and to talk directly to uh, constituents, to citizens about key policy uh, discussions going on in Washington, Uh, for example, looking at shell corporations and how they enable media consolidation and how we can turn that around. Um, He's he's been a strong advocate of supporting uh, net neutrality and also looking differently at how sharing arrangements are uh, put together and how all of these things affect either our access to the media or our access to um, the Internet. And this event was well received and, and we got a lot of input that came from constituents concerned about these issues, uh, particularly how some of these issues are, are, are leading to uh, less media access, particularly by people of color, and how do we turn that around. So what are the long, long-term implications of the chairman's uh, remarks? Uh, is this town hall a sign of things to come? Uh, how will communities influence the achievement of these goals that were stated by uh, Chairman Wheeler? So on our show today are several people from the two organizations that were mainly responsible for organizing uh, the town hall. We have uh, free press uh, Associate Policy Director Chancellor Williams. We have uh, Free Press's Senior External Affairs Director Joseph Torres. And hopefully will join us later will be um, uh, Malkia Cyril from the Center for Media Justice. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for being a uh, guest on the show today.
2: Thanks for having us, uh, Craig. Thanks for having us on.
1: So let's start with, for those folks who may not be uh as familiar as, as I know I am with uh your organization, what does free press do, and what are your respective roles within the organization? we can start with joe and then then chance
2: okay sure so, well thanks again thanks for having us on so free press we're we're a ten year old organization we're a non profit and we uh we fight to make sure that uh, uh, the media and telecom policies serve a public interests. So we're basically fighting for uh, the rights of everyday people to their rights to connect and communicate. To uh, um, yeah, whether it's you know radio and television, whether the owners or whether producers, media makers like yourself or um, the ability to have access to the Internet as well and be media makers as well, be able to to talk for yourself, uh, 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 to be able to uh, produce your own image as well as as consume your own uh, content. So um, uh, that's kind of uh, long-winded, but uh, basically we're we're, we're a public interest group that uh, is making sure that media and telecom policy serves the public good. Mm-hmm. And in my, in the, my role within Free Press is uh, I, I work to uh, – uh, for years I've worked on, you know, whether it was lobbying Congress or the, or the FCC on media telecom policies to more of my work these days is working with uh, communities of color and, and other organizations to to help build uh, a media reform movement or movement for for better media.
1: Okay. and And Chance, what's your particular role?
2: Uh, Yeah, my role as associate policy
0: director involves really um, trying to move our policy agenda at Free Press. So that means uh, directly advocating in Congress and uh, lobbying on Capitol Hill, also working with our allies in the movement to sort of advance all of our shared goals, um, which is a lot of what you saw at at the town hall. On Thursday night, and I think, you know, as Joe said about free press, it's we're we're really fighting to make sure that uh, media and telecommunications policies honor and serve the public interest, and that's why the you know the town hall was so great because you really did see the public have a real seat at the table and have direct access to a key decision maker, and for us, um, if that happens all the time. Um, the outcome hopefully will be uh, much better uh, media and telecom policies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is it accurate to say that uh, organizations like uh, Free Press and um, uh, the the, uh, the Center for Media Justice are the counterbalance to the lobbyists, the you know the typical K Street folks, I guess that that tend to have you know significant access by both proximity and just how they do what they do are you guys kind of the counterbalance to that
2: well i i would say that uh i mean a, a counterbalance uh, that's um we would like to think of more than just a counterbalance uh you know the, these companies have uh, they spend an awful lot of money to have a huge megaphone, and people who are uh, very powerful to move their agenda. Um, you know we just believe in in, in uh, that these these issues of media and telecom policy are a, a, an issue. I think Makia said it at the town. Makia Ciro, the second director for the Center of Media Justice, they're really life and death issues. You know they're really issues of of equality and whether people uh, 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 can be able to participate in their society. So uh, too often uh uh the, the voices of everyday people are not heard on these issues and, and the people doing our work do, doing this work, people like us and Center for Media Justice and the National Society Media Coalition and a lot of others, uh, you know, we 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 are fighting to make sure that the people's voices are heard. But at the same time within the D C Beltway, um uh uh it is an awful big footprint that these telecom companies have that uh, we are fighting to make sure that we uh, that the people have a seat at the table in uh, uh, order their voices to be heard because we're easily, it's so easy for these companies to drown out with all the money they're paying politicians uh, to support their agenda. Uh, whether it's Democrat or Republican, it really doesn't matter. Um, and so we are working to make sure uh, that, uh, that you can, if, if the FCC's mission Is to make sure they they pass policy uh, that serves the public interest and we're trying to make sure they live up to uh, to that calling okay
1: and and that's a very vital role though I'm I'm sure there are some days um, it feels a little bit like a never-ending uphill battle uh, being being in in Washington trying to deal with all these uh, resources that the the lobbyists have to to play how are you most effective? Um, is it by structuring uh, town halls such as this? Is a town hall like this the you know I, the, the first time that that uh, Free Press and the Center have uh, gotten you know high ranking government officials in? What's your typical, I guess, modus operandi?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, free press um, since its its founding has really worked outside of the Washington D.C. Beltway um, to to make these really strong connections, like Joe was talking about, with with other organizations, with individuals. Uh, really explaining the impact of these, um, what are sometimes seen as arcane policies that get discussed here in Washington, D.C. So I think our approach or our strategy is really twofold. Um, one, you know, we, we do have people inside of Washington working on policy Um, you know, working with policymakers, working on Capitol Hill to make sure that the people's voices actually do get heard. Um, And then we're also very busily working outside of the Beltway to make the connections, do events like the Town Hall, do events like the National Conference for Media Reform, and many others where we bring people together and really um, try to create that community and movement that it's going to take of, you know, a lot of people to fight against some of the the Washington D.C. Uh, corporate power that Joe was uh, discussing before.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's talk specifically about Thursday. Um, I am guessing, uh, at least in the in the last uh, I don't know couple of years, that I have been following uh, D.C. activity more closely. That this is the first time that an FCC chairman has held a town hall meeting such as this, or, or have there been meetings like this before? Go ahead, I want
2: you to take that.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we have definitely done um, town hall meetings before, um, and, you know, I think over the past couple of years, uh, there was one in uh, Minnesota, there was another one in New Mexico. Um, the FCC chair at the time did not attend those, but other um, FCC commissioners did. Um, and over the you know over the years, there have been been uh, a number of field hearings or um, town halls where you had um, commissioners who were very engaged and um, you know stayed for hours and and really discussed uh, these important issues with the community and made sure that they heard from everyone. Um, so there is, you know, I think a, a long tradition of this that goes back, but, um, you know, that, that gap that you notice is real. Um, it's something that hasn't happened nearly often enough in recent times, which I think is, you know, why we're very encouraged that uh, Chairman Wheeler decided to get out of the Beltway so early in his, um, in his tenure to participate in a community town hall.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, I, if i just if i just can add to that if i can add to that um in in the two thousand and six and seven uh, the republican chairman did go out to some of these town hall meetings on media ownership uh he did it because uh um uh, there was a really backlash in 2003 or four against the FCC uh, uh, not going outside the beltway. They're going about to pass this massive amount of media consolidation, um, and the, and so when the, the next chairman came in, Kevin Martin, he did some of these town hall meetings, but he got himself jammed up. He would he had a town hall meeting in Seattle where he was. Uh, he basically leaked out that he was going to pass these rules while he was still holding town hall meetings and so it was all just performance you know it was all just performance uh to go out there to to pretend you were hearing from the public but you actually had your mindset up made up all already so um obviously with this chairman there's nothing he uh we, we hope that um uh we we hope to uh, uh to influence uh what he's thinking about these issues, and 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 and, and that we're gonna have a po- that events like that happened last Thursday gonna be a positive impact on how he if he comes back to Washington and and, and uh, hopefully uh influence how he thinks about these issues uh, uh going forward.
1: Right. Okay. Well, what I want to do is I want to take some of the key statements or the key policy issues that uh, Chairman Wheeler brought up, and I want each of you to give me an idea or give our audience an idea. One, what is the importance, because I know we hear a lot of these things and it kind of becomes peripheral noise to a lot of folks if they hear it at all, but I want to understand, I want them to understand why these specific issues are important. Let's start with probably one of the more hot-button issues, net neutrality. What is it and why should the average uh, person in the streets or in the community care about this issue?
0: Well, net neutrality rules are just very basic protections for Internet users to make sure that the companies we pay for access to the Internet, um, Internet service providers like Comcast or Verizon, don't um, block or degrade any websites that we might be trying to reach online. So that means... Any, you know, mom-and-pop website is going to load at the same speed and function in the same way as, you know, a, a big corporate website that might have money to pay additional all, dollars to, be, to have their uh, content prioritized. So net neutrality is really built into the way that the Internet has worked forever, And these rules have really been put in place to keep uh, corporations in check um, and, you know, not have them sort of double dip to gain additional profit margin at the cost of really, you know, uh, slowing down information that people need and, um, you know, for for startups and new businesses, making sure that they have the same opportunity to become the next Google or Facebook as, you know, those currents that are currently major players online are.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Another issue that the chairman brought up was media consolidation. Uh, What are your thoughts on on that? Again, why should the average person know and care about this?
2: Yeah, I'll say to that that... um, uh, you know, the 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 public, the most the local television is still the way the majority of people get their news, right? It, it, the media, uh, the 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 journalism that's produced, the most of the journalism that we see and hear and read about, uh, comes from uh, uh, traditional media outlets, and so uh, whether you see it online. The more people are reading newspapers today than ever before, they're just reading it online instead of getting the actual printed uh, version. And so um, if you look at a, at a market like the, the Bay Area, um, it, it, is, uh, um, uh, it, it matters who owns the media. It matters the kind of content you, you get about your local community. And so consolidation plays a critical role on uh, the issue of media consolidation plays a critical role in all this in reducing the amount of voices in, in a local market. And, not, uh, and this is all about... Uh, a couple of things. It's all about the ability of people to speak for themselves, and so what you have is that there there is you know there is a situation where people of color, let's say, uh, cannot even uh, they're unable to own their own broadcast outlets uh, because of consolidation. They they just can't afford it, um, uh, and so. When we think about it, you know, whether it's the Internet or media ownership, it's all the same issue, really. It's all about who, who has the opportunity to speak for themselves and tell their own stories. And often what we have on, uh, on traditional media, uh, big companies that, that get to determine who gets to speak. And this is why network neutrality has chance was saying is critically important, to so make sure that uh, everyday people have a chance to uh, tell their own stories online.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So just control- and I'll just add to that. If, if I could just add to what Joe was saying, you know, he brought it back
0: around to net neutrality, and I think an important thing for folks to keep in mind is that um, the courts are in the process right now of reviewing a challenge to the net neutrality rules that Verizon brought, wherein they um, asserted their right to, quote-unquote, edit the Internet. And so, you know, if you think of the real chilling impact that something like that can have where, you know, you have a major corporation that is saying that they have the right to interfere um, with what you do online in such a way, in such a heavy-handed way, it really shows how much is at stake and how how timely it actually is.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Now, one of the the things about media consolidation that, that came up was this whole issue of shell corporations. So it seems like the looking at media consolidation and how the average citizen deals with this, there are o- ovo- overt actions, you know, where you kind of see the big announcements about, you know, this, you know, Comcast buying X and, and Verizon buying Y and so forth. But it sounds like there's like subtle under the covers kinds of activities that also lead to media consolidation, including uh, shell corporations, which one of the uh, constituents who got to the mic brought this issue up. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how do you how do you a- attack something that you may not even really know or, or is clearly uh, a tactic to, that facilitates consolidation?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that you know that that issue um, with shell companies is actually something we refer to as covert consolidation mm-hmm. because it does. Um, much, much of it does happen outside of the public view, and this is really a tactic that gigantic media conglomerates have used um, to get around the FCC's media ownership rules, and they're doing that in nearly 50% of the media markets in this country. And so basically what that means is a company will have a subsidiary or a shell company, as we refer to them, that really um, has no staff doesn't really do anything except for hold the license, um, the broadcast license, and the major company owns all of the equipment, um, hires the staff, coordinates broadcasts, and, and so much more. And so, um, you know, this is something that the Securities and Exchange Commission does not recognize. These as two separate companies. The Department of Justice has called it anti-competitive, but it is something that people notice across the country, and it's something that they see when they see repeat local newscasts. You know, you think um, that it's something in the zeitgeist sometimes where things just happen to, to, you know, the same stories happen to be reported in similar ways, but actually behind the scenes... A lot of the local broadcasters in in areas where these agreements are in place are working together on scripts, Sometimes you can change the channel and see the exact same broadcast, news broadcast happening from station to station in the same market. And, you know, that's a real threat um, to local news diversity and isn't really serving the public interest. Um, So that's why that's that's such a a big issue and one that we've been pushing on. And according to uh, Chairman Wheeler's statements on Thursday night, it's something that the FCC is going to take a different view on, uh, and uh, we're very excited about that.
2: Right,
1: as and I'm sure a lot of folks are um I'm gonna t- go on a little bit of a tangent here for the benefit of our um our, our audience, we'll come back to some of the other policy statements that uh, the chairman mentioned, but at the beginning of the uh town hall, there was a um a poem read by the uh what a youth po- poet laureate of of oakland, and I think that that and you can tell me if this, is, if my assessment of this is, is correct. As I was listening to his poem, he was talking about how all of our images, or many of our images, our negative images about uh, black youth, about people of color, about the marginalized folks within um, uh, the country, are all shaped in large part by the media, and 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 in part. Because the media is consolidated And so there's a few folks That basically are shaping the national You know, view The average person's view Of, 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 a, of a group of, of people um, And so this speaks to why We should be paying more attention To uh, these issues of who runs the media And how we can somehow arrest Some amount of Of uh, community control over the media because this is going beyond just uh, an economic issue which it's shaping cultural attitudes and so forth is that a fair assessment of you know what we should take from his his poem
2: uh, i i would say absolutely Absolutely, I mean it's more than fair. It's it's an accurate description to me of of what history has done, uh, the history of U.S. media has done uh, in portrayal of African Americans and people of color, for that matter. We've all people of color, African Americans, have always been viewed as the other, as the threat, as a a physical threat to the well being of, well beings of other others. I mean, literally, in in, in, uh, uh, in, 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 one, in colonial newspapers, they were concerned about African Americans, uh, about black slaves, insurrections. So there's always stories about that. Uh, they, they, they literally wrote stories that, African, that, black, uh, that blacks were addicted to stealing a line in the 1700s. I mean, th- this is a long narrative. Then you have stuff like Amos and Andy, right, that comes along that, mm-hmm. that really shows, uh, that shows commercial radio. Uh, it shows that radio can be a commercial vehicle. This, the most popular radio show uh, of its time during the early 19, late 1920s, early 1930s, showed there's a, a commercial potential of radio. And it, what does it do? It buffoons black folk, right? Then recently mm-hmm. there's been a study. There was a study done the, uh, in the Pittsburgh market. Right the, the majority of images, like, I think is 96 percent. I think this, the figure is 96 percent of the image of black youth and black men. In the media in the Pittsburgh market, was that was, was related to crime stories and stories about athletes. So this image continues. There's a historical narrative that continues. And, and so, yeah, it, it, this is why media ownership and everything we're talking about today, network neutrality, is critically important because we don't get to tell our own stories and other, 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 other people shape the narrative. And when they do that, the stereotype uh, becomes the narrative. And when the stereotype is a narrative, it is very, very damaging. Uh, and... When we care about the media, Chance and I, uh, not so, so we can have uh, more shows we can watch uh, you know, on an iPad or whatever device you want to watch on, it's about the social good. It's about to make sure that uh, we are able to fight for, for policies that better our lives, that better the lives of our community, the health of our community, whether it's immigration reform or health care or education reform, all these issues. It's tough, it, it is tough to, to pass any progressive agenda for people of color. If you are seen as problem people, if you are view as the others, as the other. So I, I care about media because of, of how uh, we are portrayed in the world, how people come out portrayed. And that's, to me, why all these issues are all interconnected and why, 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 why that, uh, to me, that poem from, from that young poet laureate uh, really resonated with me.
1: Mm-hmm. Chance, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, in terms of, you know, it's, you know the accuracy of the assessment that, um, you know, the issue of media is important because it is shaping how well or how poorly groups of folks in the U.S. can advance or not.
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I think uh, I, I agree with all of, of what Joe said, and it is just um, that the media in so many ways is the key, um, you know when when um, so much of what Obasi Davis, is the the uh, youth poet laureate from Oakland, was was talking about in in that poem was the fact that um, the world misunderstands him as a black man um, and uh, projects a lot of assumptions onto who he is, what his behaviors might be. Um, and that is a real thing that people are facing. And certainly, you know, in, in the fight for racial justice, um, it's it's difficult to see how that can happen if we don't start to shift the narrative of what's what's happening in the media. And, you know, like, like Joe said, be it environmental justice, be it any type of social justice cause, if our national narrative is one that is damaging um, that doesn't provide all of the facts or the truth or a, a full set of facts, um, you know, we, it's really an uphill battle to make positive change in our society.
2: If I can no. add one more thing, Craig. If I can add one more thing, you know, is, a, is, is a kind of a response to an earlier question you said. You know, why it's important that we have this town hall meeting, why are gr- groups like ours and Center for Media Justice and others are critically important is because too often these stories about policy about how these policies impact our life I'm not covered as an issue of democracy, is not covered as an issue of of uh, what does it mean for you as an individual, your individual freedom, the the collective freedom of of of, of, of communities to be able to speak freely. It's often covered as a business story uh, of of commerce, one big giant company fighting another. And I think one of the the, the core functions that uh, we do as an organization and CMJ and that town hall meeting is to is to put these issues in real. In real terms, man, what the, what this actually means to your lives, to the lives of your community, the health of your, commu- of your communities, that goes beyond the business story. Otherwise, uh, these stories don't get covered that way. They get covered in the business sections of newspapers and, and or CNBC and stuff like that. So uh, I just wanted to add that context, the importance of why uh, uh, what we did on Thursday and uh, what we do on a daily basis is important because uh, Lots of times we, we are the eyes and ears of, of issues that no one would ever hear about uh, if there weren't uh, other groups like ours and others, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to make sense of them and, and put them in everyday terms Why they're important to our communities.
1: I want to bring up another uh, item, kind of going down this path even a little further. Um, some folks who listen to my show may be wondering why we're having a discussion about media access and so forth. When the show is about broadband, and I would contend that broadband is the media I mean basically everything now is digitized, whether we 're looking at a video broadcast we 're looking at a re- listening to a radio show. it all comes down to, 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 to ones and zeros, and the internet is the backbone for how that happens so if we 're talking about broadband in many respects, broadband is a media discussion. And when we have cases where rural America can't get broadband or they can't get fast enough broadband, when we talk about urban areas not being able to get uh, access to to broadband or sufficient broadband, we're talking as much a media issue as a you know, ability to, to to move general data to to handle education to you know handle telemedicine. Is that an accurate assessment? That broadband and media are basically now
0: inseparable. Yeah, I mean, I I think um, we we all really need to get away from some of the. Uh, not we all. I don't want to project that onto anyone, but I think sometimes silos are created when you look at um, you know in 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 the business world, you have a a gigantic corporation like Comcast that merged with NBC Universal and now you have Comcast NBC where not only is Comcast one of the biggest internet service providers in the country and also a cable company, um, runs several cable channels and uh, now owns and operates local broadcasters and communities across the country. I think the corporations see how um, seamlessly all of this fits together and how it fits together in our lives. So definitely all, all of these issues are wrapped up into one. Um, and it is, you know, the, the issue of the media has has really um, grown, I think, to include broadband in, in so many other issues as time has gone
2: on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to so, me, yeah. Craig, this is – this, yeah, this is um, this is a, I think exactly what Chance is saying. You know, uh, there's nothing new about this uh, discussion or fight. When it, and, and right now we're talking about broadband, and as Chance mentioned, mentioned earlier, uh, the uh, Verizon is is stating in court how it, sh- it thinks it has the right to uh, uh, to interfere with our ability to use broadband and speak using broadband to connect to other human beings. It's more um, – access is critically important, right? It's critically important that we have access uh, to content and to information so we can function in society. But also the other part of that is we also need uh, – what are we having access to? And if and if the access is to is the content that demonizes us, then uh, it's problematic. So when Verizon is saying that it's no different than a newspaper editor – Well, I know what newspaper editors have done to communities of color, right? They completely Mm -hmm. either... They completely wipe us off the pages of history that like we didn't exist, or when they do cover us, they cover us as problem people. And so this is not, this is nothing new, this fight. I mean, when it, when it was about the telegraph, uh, and how people are going to be able to use the telegraph to, to send messages and communicate, uh, federal policies determined how that was going to be, right? It, it became a monopoly, Western Union, right? When radio came along, it was uh, how we're going to regulate this new industry, uh, radio, right? And uh, all the big companies got the uh, uh, the licenses, and all of a sudden you see programs of uh, buffoonery like Amos and Andy, right? Then television came along, Then <coughs> cable came along. Same fight. Cable is going to supposed to democratize our society, right? All the stuff we're talking about today was supposed to happen with cable as well, right? That didn't happen. And now we're talking about broadband. It's the same fight over and over again. So it's all interconnected. It is a, to me, it is, it is a media issue. This is a media issue. And it's about consolidation. It's about media ownership. If you want to think about it as media ownership 2.0, it is all the same issue over and over again, as Chance said. These these big companies—they don't differentiate between it. it. They understand the importance. It's all—it's all—it's all all interconnected.
1: If 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 citizens, if if constituents, um, particularly low-income, marginalized. Um, so forth, left out of the mainstream, do they need to have, I don't know, a reawakening to the fact that one of the values of broadband is its ability to control the message, control the image, um, direct the the protest, direct the access, and so forth? Um, should they be looking at this very differently than what I at least think people actually are, at least currently?
2: You know, I I think, I was going to say, Chance, I think that um, one of the issues we face, and maybe Chance, you think differently about this, I think we talked about this uh, from time to time, is the fact that uh, a lot of, particularly the younger generation, uh, (laughs) I sound old when I say that, but younger generation, right? Uh, They always grew up with the. They always grew up with the internet. The internet has always been there, right? And how it functions mm-hmm. There's always been, uh, you know, broadband, you know, uh, connectivity. I mean, what seventy over seventy percent of people have broadband uh, today? It was only two like percent, maybe t- eleven, twelve years ago. So, mm-hmm. the idea of high-speed internet—it's really still relatively new for folks, right? And and but, folks have—they uh, always think this is the way the internet works, and the idea that the internet can work differently may seem hypothetical. Uh, to a lot of people that they can't wrap their brains around. Uh when you see consolidation of media they they can see what Clear Channel does, right? They understand that, right? When Clear mm-hmm. Channel comes in and they have A stations and they fire DJs and stuff like that. I think that was what David D at the town hall was talking about. Um, you know, um so I think that that's part of the challenge uh we face. I think a lot of people I also think a lot a lot of people actually do get it. Uh it's just that they don't hear about these issues uh it it framed in this way right no they are very unaware of the pending threats that are happening to uh, to our internet freedom so um i think once they uh they knew about this issue uh uh i i think people inherently do get it but for now i think a part of the challenge is uh for some that it seems hypothetical i don't know what you think chance if you if you have similar thoughts or what do you think
0: yeah, I mean, I guess
2: I I, I do agree with, uh, with with that,
0: and I think there are also you know at the same time these uh, amazing things that are happening throughout the country. Some of which you saw come to fruition in Oakland on Thursday night. So you you have the Center for Media Justice, which coordinates the the Media Action Grassroots Network which is a connection of you know, hundreds of organizations around the country that really put forward and lead with uh, racial and social justice issues, and those are their primary er- areas of concern and work. And also side-by-side side with that are really looking at issues of media justice, be that broadband access and affordability, the open Internet, media ownership and consolidation, the high cost of prison phone rates. So I think... Um, as challenging as it is to move the needle on these issues, there's been some amazing organizing work that has come together that really um, puts these issues side by side with so many of the other things that our communities are looking to achieve. And, um, you know, I think that that prioritization really pays off and shows up when you have a public event, uh, like on Thursday night where you have an overflowing room of people and, you know, 500 or so people watching online that really want to engage on these issues as people. And I think, um, you know, we can't under underplay that because that is years upon years of organizing that groups like Free Press and the Center for Media Justice and others have done um, to get folks to, to a point where, um, where they see this as, as uh, you know, a, a kitchen table, everyday issue that they're really concerned about.
1: Mm-hmm how do you get folks, um, well, this is like a multi-part question, how do you get folks engaged? But part of the issue is how do you actually, um, I don't know, how do you affect change? You Because know, one of the things I see, or one of the problems I see with getting people engaged in many issues related to broadband, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, getting cities the ability to build their own networks, communities that ability and so forth, um, is that you've got to show people how they're going to be able to impact stuff because they look at their, you know, their self in a town 2,000 miles or 3,000 miles away from D.C. and say, well, I can't afford to go to D.C. I can't afford to throw the money around as the lobbyists uh, throw around. How, how do you show people that they can make an impact or how do they make an impact?
0: In my mind, I think um, it can be a very isolating experience if, if folks choose to view it that way, you know, out there on their, on their own by themselves. Um, but I think that's the power of organizations, that's the power of community, that's the power of coalitions is bringing people together And I think um, when that happens, you really do see people... Um, shift the way that they look at these issues and recognize that yeah it, it it might be really tough to do certain things alone, but when you do something in community, a lot of really amazing things can happen. So you do see um, and I you know I think years ago this this didn't happen as much, but you do see people coming to Washington D.C. from communities periodically to advocate on their own behalf to advocate for the public interest. Uh, you see hundreds upon hundreds of comments flowing into the FCC see from individuals and from communities, you know, you see people taking actions online and sharing information and really learning about these issues. And so, you know, I think it, it is tough, but I think, um, you know, the, the thing that we apply most is really um, persistence because we see time and time again uh, people really do engage if they, if they have uh, the information.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and I also, th- I also think, correct, that I think people do understand. Uh, uh, we travel the country. I mean, people. I mean, people really do understand the importance of broadband in their lives, and they understand. I think. Um, what it means not to have it as well, and how at a disadvantage they are. Um, uh, so I, I think um, people are fully aware of how the, what they can do about it. It's a, it's a. Um, I think I totally uh, agree with Chance that you have to. Uh, uh, it's part of our job to enga- to make sure. It's a major part of our job to make sure we engage the public to uh, show them there's an avenue for change and there's ways to create change, and um, and also too I think one of the things that we have to do is really uh, that we try to do at the town hall meeting and I think you heard it in in the in the testimony uh the the community testimony is to elevate those stories those narratives you know uh uh, uh and to, to to put human faces Uh, Behind uh, and in human stories, behind these, what could be very wonky discussions, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Often, uh, when it comes to broadband, but just to put the human face and narrative behind it, we have to do. uh, We have continue. All have to continue to do better jobs uh, 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 because it's never-ending process of being better storytellers. Uh, uh, But at the same time, I, I. totally agree with a chance that, that we, you know there 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 groups like there's a lot of groups across the country who are doing this work um um so uh you know and 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 I think so i think there's a lot of opportunity there because I think people really do inherently understand the importance of broadband and not and particularly those who don't have it what they, you know that's why you as they mentioned at the town hall meeting, folks go to libraries and they line up uh trying to use those computers and, and uh because they understand the importance of being able to have a high speed internet connection to to just to function to get it to, to just to apply for jobs do homework just to uh function in society
0: mhm-.
1: Okay. That, that that makes a lot of sense. So I guess the question then would be, you know, what's next? You do an event like this and and it looks like there may be other town halls. I know that, that Commissioner Clyburn, uh, for one, has definitely been out there in the communities since, you know, as long as I think she's been uh on the commission. Um, but and then now we have um Chairman Wheeler coming out to uh to Oakland how does a community or how do organizations such as yours you know take this to the next step and then the step following that so it doesn't become a one off kind of event
0: yeah i mean i i think um you know at the at the town hall we we definitely made um a very direct request to chairman wheeler that um he do more of these events and also bring his his colleagues with him at the FCC with him. You know, it has been over five years since the entire commission has been at a town hall event outside of the Beltway. We would love to see that happen at some point. Um, and we'll continue to ask for him to do so. You know, it is amazing, I think, an amazing transformative opportunity for the people of Oakland to speak directly to the chair of the Federal Communications Commission, we want other communities to have that opportunity, and we know that there are hundreds upon hundreds of other stories that the the commission needs to hear. Um, So we'll definitely be pushing forward on on that score. Um, And then I think one of the amazing things that happens in a room like that is folks get to connect with each other and connect to other organizations. So whether, you know, it's the arts, whether it's low-power FM whether it's community broadband, whether it's journalism, there were so many amazing folks, unions, so many folks in there with uh, sort of shared perspectives and a lot of amazing information. So. I suspect that in in many ways folks will, um, you know, when it comes to next steps or next things that could happen, there's a lot of surprising things that are just going to come out of that room because of people's proximity to one another and learning about the fights that each other have and the way that they link up to the fights that, that, that they're working through or the issues that they're working on. So I think... Um, all of that is, is bound to happen, and then I think there's just going to be a number of ways for folks to engage at the FCC as the uh, commission takes on really important decisions um, this year. Mm-hmm.
1: So if I were to summarize what I think that, that you have, both of you have, have stated and what I've heard from other organizations I've been in, in touch with is that first step or one of the first steps, is um, you have to identify stories that make the issues, the wonky issues, real. You know, you can't really talk about, um, you know, net neutrality or sharing arrangements and so forth in technical terms because people will just their, you know, their 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 brains will just tune out. But you've got to somehow figure out how to identify a story or a set of stories that. Um, that make these issues real for people and understandable. And you've got to wrap a bunch of these together so that you have some sense of momentum, some sense that this isn't, you know, a couple of isolated incidents, but there are a body of folks out there that are being adversely affected by certain policies or there are other uh, bodies of folks who are making strides and advancements because they're doing X or y taking advantage of broadband or media access and so forth and then you've got to elevate this in some way this this uh, these groups of stories and elevate it in some way that's consistent and constantly being pushed out pushed out pushed out to you know the media to the powers that be and so forth is that I know I'm kind of thinking of this on the fly, but does that sort of seem like a logical approach or a summation of approach that might make sense?
2: yeah you know um sh- sure i mean yeah i mean absolutely that's, that's a major part of it everything you described uh, uh, you know in, in 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 your feedback there uh, but for me it's uh what's critically important about all that does is really um uh, uh, helps to mobilize the public uh, outrage or public opinion you know uh we uh we we you know in d c these decisions when they're made often they're not made uh because of the technical aspects of it right they're not like tech, they're not technical they're, they're often talked about as technical arguments oftentimes too often but they're political decisions so often right these are just political mm-hmm. decisions right i mean that are being made they're not based on uh the technical merits often because i think if they were just based on technical merits, we we would win all the uh more time than not right these mm-hmm. are based these are political decisions and for for to make it harder for uh, uh to, to 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 hold political people accountable the- the whole po- politicians accountable you you, you, you need uh, a public outrage you need public awareness and public opinion and so uh while we're, these stories want to influence lawmakers and want to influence the decision makers uh we uh, what they do though is to educate and and influence the public opinion uh to our favor you know and so when uh, so when you're making this case, uh, people are aware that if someone makes a bad decision about shared services agreements, which which is going to be interpreted a different way, right, when we talk about it mm-hmm. publicly, um, that it's bad. It's bad for the community. They just can't get away with it, uh, uh, and no one's not going to notice, you know. So there's going to be public out, 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 um, outrage. Same thing with net neutrality and so forth. So uh, to me, that's the thing that... The goal is to uh, build public, greater public awareness, uh, so we can have more people, real people, uh, uh, fighting for uh, real change in, in DC. Mm-hmm. And there's
0: all kinds of resources out there. You know, certainly, um, we'd, we'd love folks to to use FreePress.net as a resource, where you where you have you know issue briefs and breakdowns of all of these these different important issues that sometimes, um, like we've talked about, can can be a little bit uh, difficult to absorb, but really to, to make sure people have the information um, and, and have materials that they can use to discuss with their, their friends, their family, their community, their organizations. Um, because as we've said, all of this functions side by side with with every type of social justice, social change effort that's going on.
1: Mm-hmm. How How do you get the various organizations, both local and um, national, the progressive organizations, on the same page and pulling in the same direction. Because I look at, you know, say the last four years, pretty much since the broadband stimulus came out, and how various entities have responded. And I see within um, the, the progressive world, if you will, certain organizations that are fully on board, and they've got a message, and they're empowering people, and so forth. And Then you have other organizations that are, you know, that say they're in favor of, you know, civil rights, or they're in favor of this, uh, you know, underrepresented group, and so forth, yet their messages are not necessarily the same, and sometimes you get, I don't know, if, you co- if co-opted is a nice word, or, or, but it seems like some of these organizations get co-opted, and start spouting the same messages that you hear from the large incumbents and so forth is there a way to get you know at least a majority or most of the uh progressive organizations unified uh more effectively or am i reading the situation wrong um,
2: you know i think that um i think i think this is a tough issue right because uh i i think once again public awareness a understanding of what the impact of these issues are on our communities uh, will help with that as well. Not just the politicians, but uh, some of the progressive groups sometimes that I, I, I sometimes I feel uh, are not on the right side of the issues, and for various reasons, right? Some are just ideologically aligned with the companies. They think the companies' answers uh, to the problems that we're facing, uh, whether, you know, broadband or or deputy neutrality, you know, uh, is the right answer some are unaware uh you know the the companies uh sell them a, a story that it's um seems very benign like like uh that the the solutions to this uh if you support this agenda will mean better is is best for the community and folks uh folks agree right and and mm-hmm. so yeah so i, I think there's you know and then um and so you have various reasons why sometimes groups don't take the right position. Progressive groups, but um, again, some are just ideological, lines, some are just uh, unaware. And but I think that we have a greater awareness within the within the public, within uh, everyday you know you know folks out there. Um, it's even harder. It's harder for these groups to take best positions uh, because uh, people are watching, you know. Or those who are unaware become aware of of the impact of these issues. They may, you know, they may be totally. It, it, I've know definitely groups who take positions that they're totally unaware of the consequences of signing that letter. Let's say, uh, if they were aware, I'm confident they wouldn't take those positions. You know, so um, that's all a part of the, the job of having greater public awareness uh, throughout the country and local communities about these issues.
1: Mhm. Chance, any additional thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just like like Joe said. I mean, if Washington is Washington, and that is, if you are a politician, a political operative, an organization, um, this is a place where um, change frightens people and you know the status quo is something that folks are always working to maintain and you know there's a a, an entire firmament of organizations that you know are part of this this sort of inside situation that is very um difficult for the american public to sort of see It, it you know it's it's very obscure and i think any um any avenue that folks have, they should really use. You know, if but many of these are membership organizations. If if you're a member and you see something that confuses you, check in. You know, and you know if uh, if your member of Congress is taking a position that confuses you, check in with them. And and that's really the only way that we can make sure these kinds of things change. And you know, we we have to hold. Um, each other accountable in these situations, and that's from politicians to organizations across the board.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, even even in the organizations that we respect and, and have love for them, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's uh, it's an act of love to 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 uh, or, or respect to to reach out to organizations that you that you really admire who may not be in the right position. To, to to speak up. I mean, that's that's a good thing, you know. Uh, um, all organizations, regardless of who you are, need to hear feedback from the the people they're serving, right? To order to be a better organization. So, um, um, yeah. So that's needed for sure. So,
1: mm-hmm. it's interesting. One of the one of the folks in the uh, in the chat room brought up the issue. You know, sort of expounding on on this question. Uh, there are so many local organizations. It's basically like there's there's fragmentation. If you look at nonprofits that are dedicated to, you know, positive social change and cultural change and all that, it is this the number can get kind of huge. Do you think there ever be a time when someone will try to, I don't know, unite a bunch of these these local and and regional organizations under some sort of, I don't know, manifesto or purpose in being or you know, a list of these are five things that all of our these you know all of our organizations uh, believe is right and we should adhere to and fight for kind of thing. Do you think that's possible?
2: Well, I, I, well, they definitely. Uh, uh, Magna is a group that. Center for Media Justice is working on that when it comes to uh, its Media Action Grassroots Network, which is a network of more than I believe now 160 grassroots groups that mm-hmm. um, you know that uh, that speak up with a, a, a shared vision, right? Uh, I have a little bit of a different take on that. I think that I believe movements uh, change uh, society. And so if you look at the uh, civil rights movement in the 60s, that it really influenced uh, every aspect of our society, including media and telecom, media issues, right? At the time, uh, there were groups like the United Church of Christ working on media issues. uh, But because the civil rights movement changed our society, um, it focused uh, – a, a part of that focus became on inequality in, in, in our media system, racial inequality in the media system, which changed the laws, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in in 2003 was uh, the war in Vietnam. Oh, uh, Vietnam. Excuse me. The war in Iraq. Excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. That really got people outraged about the state of our media system. We we saw uh, there was already groups working on media reform, right? And, but it was the war which you know really focused on on that aspect uh, of it when the, the media companies were about to uh, uh, personally benefit. Uh, 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 laws passed you know to, to, to help them out get bigger to consolidate meanwhile they're, they're trumpeting the administration's uh, uh, su- they're supporting the administration's call for war basically um, mm-hmm. and so I think I think it's going to be movements like that where there's a movement for issues of inequality because broadband is definitely an inequality issue right it's about you mm-hmm. know having access to not just broadband but you know high speed broadband it's 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 a, it's a, it's an issue of inequality. So the, all this fight happening for five for fifteen, or all these if fight against Walmart and all that. I, I don't know. I think sometimes these are uh, the issue of inequality, and in and that in and, and that movement happening now uh, can unite, like you say, unite, having a result resulting united vision on what broadband ought to be. And you know, and a Chance, I, I think you probably can take it from there. You probably got other thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I in,
0: in my mind, I think a lot of these organizations do come together under different umbrellas at various points in time. Be it you know a letter or a coalition or or something of some kind. So I think a lot of that happens. But in it, to me, I think there the issues are many and varied, and they are so complex that I think there's not there's not one overarching approach or one approach that we should um, that we should be looking for, I think, um, it is all of these disparate small organizations with, you know, um, some have a local expertise, some national, some in particular issue areas, where folks can work in solidarity with one another and learn from one another and support one another. Um, I think that's really the only way that big change can happen. So I think, um, I think it's actually a benefit to be a little bit nimble in that way and to not have a a sort of consolidated gestalt that's undergirding everything, but to have uh, a variety of approaches.
1: Mm -hmm. Now we've got about four minutes left. Uh, What I'd like to do is at the town hall, there were probably, what, 20, 30 speakers that all had issues that they wanted to address with the chairman. Of those, I'd like to get like about a minute or so from each of you What do you think of the things that you heard expressed, what two or three issues should be maybe primary ones that are are tackled in 2014? And we'll start with
0: Jans. Um, I think you saw uh, uh, more than a handful of folks discuss the Lifeline program. Mhm. Um there have been some attacks on that program. I think um it should be fully protected and it seems like uh this chair is committed to doing so and I think that's that's a great thing, but I think it's something that people should should keep an eye on. Um you know, I think uh there were a couple of speakers who spoke about media consolidation. Um that's an important issue folks should be looking out for. Um and then um, so many uh, folks really talked about broadband access issues, um, be it a librarian or an educator, and I think that's just one of those those issues that really um, access to broadband is is a real predictor of outcomes in so many different ways. Um, so I think that's an important one as well.
1: Okay, Joe, what, what's your take of all the things that you heard expressed? What are two or three that you think should be priorities for twenty?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think. I think this whole idea of the IP transition, where you know AT and T wants to start like uh, transitioning uh, to uh, to deliver basically its uh, phone and, and communication services through an IP through IP based, right? Um, where it's going to run these. Uh, Experiments. I think that's one that's gonna is, that Chairman Willis is gonna oversee. The net neutrality of course, is the one that we're all waiting for happening, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's gonna happen any day. And I, I, I think you know those are the, those are definitely two chance mentioned media ownership. So um, yeah, I I, I, um, I just throw the IP transition as part of of that uh, into uh, into the mix. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, this has been a, I think a very good discussion of topics. That I know in my travels I don't hear addressed enough at you know various conferences and what have you related to broadband. So I want to thank both of you for, for coming in and, uh, and, and putting both context and a sense of urgency on these very real media-slash-broadband uh, issues. And, and I you know, appreciate the work that uh, Free Press does. I also appreciate the work that the Center for Media Justice does. I should mention that um, uh, you know it is kind of a, a, a bummer that there's only you know, only the three of us here, but um, Malchea is involved in a uh, staff retreat, so she couldn't join us at the last minute. But nevertheless, I think we will come back to uh, these issues again and you know progress talk about what you know what's being accomplished because the issue is too important to let it kind of drift away and not be part of mainstream discussion so there you have my two cents on you know i think this is a very valuable discussion to have and to keep having so thank you both for being here
0: thanks Thanks for having having us
1: and thank you to our audience for joining us today Uh, we will be back on wednesday Um, there is a program coming out of the fcc as a matter of fact that uh, may make more money available for um, uh, for broadband projects So stay tuned and hope to see you on Wednesday. Have a great day.